Good morning again. So it's such a great joy to open the Word of God to you all this morning. By the way, to those who don't know me, my name is Oliver. I'm one of the elder of this body. So maybe some of you doesn't know me yet. So I can really understand that because most of the time I'm just hiding at the backstage. <laughs> just kidding. So I was just uh, on a vacation, short two weeks vacation. So maybe the new members and to those who are new here doesn't able to um, manage to see me. So, but maybe after the sermon, I'll be able to uh, speak to you soon. So I came to faith in this church that was around six years ago. I was baptized here and only this church I grow. So it's only to, through God's grace throughout these years that working in my life that I able to sustain. So when I came to faith during that time, I even asked God, so what's next being um, followers of Jesus Christ? So, but I cannot imagine myself standing here before you in this pulpit. So it is by God's sheer grace that I am able to speak to you all here today. So, but before we dig into the scripture, let me just lead us into prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for today. We thank you for the opportunity of um, praising you and um, sharing your word today, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that um, in the text that I'm going to preach from Psalm 9, it would be your word, Lord God, not my word. I pray for the whole congregation to open their hearts to accept your word as this is. This is all I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, just to start, so I told you I came from a short two weeks vacation from the Philippines and it was very nice. So, so far, able to manage to do all the things that I need uh, to do. So, before the travel, I know some of you would agree with me. If you're going to travel, you would do a lot of course preparation. If your time is short and um, you need to do things as good as it would be, so you need to do a preparation, and that's what I did. So before my travel, I did a travel checklist and even an itinerary plan. So where should I go? What should be the things that I should prioritize? And what should I bring present for my loved ones, present for my friends, and so on and so forth. I even have my travel checklist all together. So even the clothes that I'm going to wear there from day one until day end, I even folded it. Shirt, pants, socks, rolled day one. Shirt, pants, socks, rolled day two, and so on and so forth. Because you just don't want to miss anything there. So I don't want to spend much time to think whatever, uh, what, what, where, or what clothes should I wear. So that's what I did. So everything now is in place. So my travel arrives, and the flight was so good. The food in the plane was so nice, and the COVID protocol in the plane was so awesome. So compared from the last time, now it's very uh, smooth. So I really love the flight. So after that, coming to the Philippines, arriving in the Philippines, now going to our immigration system. So immigration is cleared, now going to the health authority. It was also cleared, so everything now is in place. Now, the only thing left for me is to pick up my luggage. And do you know what happened? I lost my baggage. For maybe roughly for five to ten minutes, I was just 
sitting there dazing, uh, thinking, what should I do now? All the plans that I have done is already been messed up. So the things that I should give to my son, the gifts for my son, the things that my friends asked me to bring for them, yeah, I cannot go to them right now without my present to give to them. So now everything is all messed up. So in this situation, human tendency, we got to be frustrated. And even to the point that we're going to uh, be uh, led to an argument to someone, maybe to the, some, of, some of the officers there might be. And you may feel like saying, and maybe you will agree with me on that, that why is this happening? Now, this is somehow connected with our preaching this morning from Psalm 9, little connected. Um, our sermon text is from Psalm 9. If things goes in haywire and out of control, are we going to trust God and recount His wonderful deeds? That would be our text this morning. So Psalm 9. Our main idea for today is God's people respond to God with thanks, trust, and acknowledgement. To those who are um, having notes, God's people respond to God with thanks, trust, and acknowledgement. I have two points here. One is, God's people respond to God wholeheartedly. That is from verse 1 to 10. Next is, God's people share God's deeds among others. That would be from verse 11 to 20. Now, please open up your Bible. In Psalm 9, verse 1 to 20. If you're using the church Bible, I think it is in page 256. So Psalm 9, let me read it. To the choir master according to Mutlaben, a Psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing your praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put your trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So that would be from verse 1 to 10. So just to give you a quick background of the book of Psalms, so maybe some of you are already reading it, uh, from time to time, but some of you, to those who don't uh, know the background of psalm, it is an entire collection of psalm which is entitled as praises. That would be in Hebrew text. Um, in Greek verb also, the noun psalms basically denotes uh, the plucking and twanging of strings. So it has an association with musical accompaniment 
as implied. Also, the author of Psalm, we can see that um, somehow it has uh, basically seven composers, but the main author of it is absolutely it is God. But for the human side, we have seven composers. One is King David, who wrote at least 73 out of the 150 Psalms. We have also Sons of Korah, accounted for 10. We have also the um, Asaph, contributed 12. And other penmen, just like Solomon, Moses, Heman, and Ethan. And the remaining 50 Psalms remain anonymous. But um, although Ezra, that's what they said, thought that I'm um, the author of some of the Psalms. Also, the book of Psalms is divided into five books. So, the first book from chapter 1 to 41, that's what we have right now. 1 to 41 is the Psalm of David. Book 2 is from chapter 42 to 72, which is a mixed Psalm of uh, Son of Korah and Solomon. Book 3 from chapter 73 to 89 is of Asaph and Athan. Book 4 from 90 to 106, we can see there the, the Psalm of Moses. And book 5, 107 to 150, it's a song of Hallel and song of Accent. I'm not a scholar of the Old Testament. We have some scholars there that can actually refer it. But this is somehow that we have searched. So some expression that we can also encounter in some as you read it, we have the word selas, which means it is a pause or a musical interlude. Uh, we have also maskil, possibly means contemplative or skillful psalm. We have also what we call the mikham, possibly atonement psalm. We have also seal, which we um, read from time to time, which is the nether world. So psalm 9 and 10 before was actually one psalm. So it was just... Um, the Protestant considered it as two different psalms, considering the Hebrew reckoning of it. So because Psalm 9 is an individual hymn and Psalm 10 is an individual lament, so we consider it as a separate psalm. Although the title indicates Psalm 9, it is considered as the psalm of David. The context of the psalm both celebrates past victories of God and calls on God to arise to meet new threat. Before, okay. before we talk about the passage and proceed to verse 1, you can actually see a note before that. So it's better, um, it would be edifying that we were going to um, let us discuss on that and for you to learn it. So first, we have one note there. To the choir master. So this is attached to the 55 sum, so you will be able to um, read it from time to time. So what does, mean, what does it mean for the choir master? This is a compiled collection of some drawn from separate sources and choirs, possibly, possibly, for special occasion, and possibly as a stage towards making the complete Psalter. Next is we have there, according to Mutlaben. So the reasonable translation of this one, maybe it's a guide of how to sing it. So we have here, um, laben, from the word laben, from the Hebrew word laben, it means um, to the sun or for the sun. So which means this can be sung um, by young men having treble voices. So most likely that's the interpretation of this verse. So we can see here, the psalm is carefully prepared just like what David did. So it's choir master according to Mutlaben 
and he prepared because it's not for himself. This is for our everlasting Lord and his praises exalting forever and ever. That's why David, we can consider him as the greatest king of Israel because he was considered as a man after God's heart. Now let's go to verse 1 and 2. So verse 1 and 2, it's all about giving thanks and praise to God. We can see there the psalmist is praising and exalting and thanking God wholeheartedly and also recounting God's wonderful deeds for his deliverance. But do you notice something? There's a word that's being stressed there in Psalm 1. And can you find it? Yes, there's a word, I will. It's been stressed out how many times? Four times in the passage. So you know, in Hebrew poetry, if a word is being repeated twice, it is considered that it is very important for you to notice it. That's twice. How about three times? So absolutely, it's extremely important for you to notice it. But this time, you are seeing in the psalm, David wrote it for four times. So, which means it is extremely, very important of us to notice that. So, we can understand David's heart here. How lavishly praising and exalting and worshiping and glorifying our Lord God for His wonderful deeds. Now, this would be the emphasis that we have for this point, which is, I will recount your wonderful deeds. Now, coming back to my travel story with my missing luggage, so I was just still dazing there, thinking about for a few minutes what should be my new plans now. So it just recalled to my mind a news that I have um, watched a few years ago. One of our celebrities, also in the same airport, also lost her baggage, and what she did, she did a total rampage at the airport, bad-mouthing all the people there, fighting with the securities and fighting the, with the airline personals. And it was even, um, it even leads for her to be arrested. So while I was sitting there, should I also do that? By the way? No. So that's actually what I'm... But basically, um, I cannot even imagine myself in doing that. I am frustrated. Yes, of course, I'm totally frustrated. That's why I'm even thinking, why? Why is this happening? Um, I, I, I cannot do all the things that I am, have planned already. So, I mean to say, this kind of things and experience happen to us, not only to me. Maybe some of you already experienced this kind of um, being lost your baggage. And maybe some of you can, can, cannot even compare to this, to the circumstances that you are having right now. I was only talking about my lost baggage here. How about you? Maybe some of you are struggling more. Maybe some of you are struggling on depression, struggling on finances, struggling on health issue, problem with health issue of my wife, health issue of my husband, health issue of my kids. School problem, maybe problem with my school papers, problem with your teachers, problem with school tuition fees that you cannot pay, problem with your work, maybe you're struggling to cope up with your work, maybe you are um, um, possible for termination, that you need a job. And 
possible for persecution, so on and so forth. There are lots of problems that I cannot even compare to what you are even facing right now. But still, when things happen, are we going to become like the world to compromise our Christian identity? Or are we persevering and become the light of Christ in this world and recount his wonderful deeds? Now, recalling God's wonderful deeds for these past few years of God being a provider, maybe you can uh, make this one as an example, God's being a provider to you. Think about the happy moments that you have with these past few years with your loved ones, with your friends, with the, the place that you go and the things that you have experienced, those happy moments, with all these things that God has done for you. Are you going to compromise your faith and act like the world? Remember your identity. Being a Christian, you are called for God to himself. People who love to do good deeds and for the glory of God. Now let's go to our next verse. Maybe we can summarize that in verse 3 to 10. Verse 4, we have there, you have maintained my just cause. This is exactly what God has known to do. We have also there in verse 5 to 6, reveal the just God dealing with the godless and dealings with all men in general. That is verse 5 and 6. So we see that people in the world and not of God will turn their back from him. Will turn back from him. People in this world will act according to the ruler of this world. So do not envy them or idolize them. And there, we are already seeing this from time to time here in this world. Ungodly people with ungodly work and people in this world are happy in seeing this. So brothers and sisters, we are not people of this world. We are God's people. So keep yourself in the light with the teachings of our Lord God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So also be vigilant. Because our enemy, the devil, is just around the corner. He is just seeking opportunity to debar us, for us to be tempted and lead to sin. And we know when sin grows, it will lead us into death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Then, now I've been talking a lot here. Maybe some of you are saying, yeah, you can say that because um, you are not in our place. I can understand with, my, with our brother Luke here when they were out of Afghanistan. You can say those things that you are you're having right now because you are not in my place. Maybe you can say that. Yes, I can truly understand that. When sometimes, when you pray and submit your case to God, maybe asking for something like healing, Lord, please Help me heal my leukemia. Please help heal me with my cancer. Please help my husband to get healed. Please help my children to get healed. Also with our work, the same. Help me to find job. I don't have something to eat right now. I need a job. I need to provide something for me and for my family. I can truly understand that. So to those who actually don't know me, 
Uh, I have actually a seven-year-old son that has an autism. When I knew that ever since, I've been praying. I've been praying for him to be normal. But in the end, the answer is no, or maybe not that this time. So I can truly understand you. Now I realize that our hearts can easily be filled with bitterness against God, and sometimes we become dependent on our own, in our own strength. If God, you are not going to give me this, then I will do it on my own. Sometimes we have that tendency on our own strength. And it's hard for us to reconcile His goodness with the trials and suffering that is happening in our lives. It's hard to reconcile. But never, ever, I ever doubted Him. We can trust in His Word, like in the Scripture that Elihu said in Job chapter 36, verse 15, He delivers the afflicted by their affliction and open their ears by adversity. During times, maybe it's hard for you to understand what God is doing, but rest assured, brothers and sisters, God is working with us and teaching us to depend more on Him. I know God is working with His people That is why we should be confidently say, just like Joshua and Joshua 24, 15, confidently saying, as for me and as for my household, we will serve the Lord. That should be our Christian battle cry in times of trials and suffering. So press on, brothers and sisters. God sits on his throne. He is not sleeping. He is not neglecting us. Yet, He is tempering us to be His people. So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, in whatever circumstances that you are having right now, even though how much you are down, press on and keep trusting God. Maybe it seems difficult for you to understand, but we should always be reminded, God is always in control. Now let's go to verse 10. Verse 10 emphasizes that those who know His name put their trust in the Lord. Yes, true Christians shines in times of adversity. Christians put their trust in the Lord in whatever trials or tribulation they are facing with. So in times of struggle, in seeking refuge, if it is hard for you to um, seek refuge from God, think about our examples, just like David here, recounting God's wonderful deeds. Another example that I can think about is some of our heroes in faith. I think um, some of our preachers have already been make this one as an example. We have the martyr Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, now the modern Smyr, Turkey, from AD 167 to 168, when he was asked to renounce his faith or else he will be burned on a stake. What did he reply? He boldly replied to his persecutor, 86 years have I served him, and he has done no wrong to me. How can I blaspheme my king and savior? Also, another example that we can think about, I can think about Moses, 
in Moses in Numbers um, chapter 20. So at uh, that time when the people is, of Israel uh, is going to the promised land again, then now they are in the wilderness and the people again is, um, is crying, we need water, we are going to die. Why did you take us out from Egypt and now we're going to die in this place? And even Moses was already being uh, angry with them because that's the same thing what they did from their previous forefather who did not able to go to the promised land. So Moses inquired God and God told Moses, Moses, speak to the rock and from the rock, the water will flow and will provide water from the whole congregation. But what Moses did is exactly different. He gathered the congregation and he told the congregation, here you rebels, am I going to um, burst this rock to bring forth water? And he strike the rock twice with his tap and the waters burst forth. But God said, since you did not believe me and considered myself holy, you shall not bring this assembly to the promised land that I have prepared for them, including Moses. Can you imagine that? Moses, who received the commandment of God, who parted the Red Sea, who led the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt, then now he's almost going to the promised land and now he's not entitled to go to the promised land. Can you imagine where is the grace of that? I think God, I just, Moses just sinned. So can you just forgive him? But still, he's not allowed to go inside the promised land. Where's the grace in that? But knowing Moses in the New Testament, we saw, where do we saw Moses in the New Testament, by the way? We saw him during the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ together with Elijah. So which means God had delivered him. That's why if we don't see what God's plan for us, or maybe it hurts us, we as his people should always still trust in God. And also calling, recalling back to Moses again, and we know, and to those who don't know it, Moses was the one who wrote the five books, the first five books of the Bible, which is the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the one that I talk about is from the book of Numbers. He was the one who wrote it. And he wrote his failure during that time. So Moses repented and still trusts in the Lord. And lastly, if you need an example, we have our King Jesus. He is the perfect example. He knows our suffering and can sympathize with us with our weaknesses. He who suffered and tempted yet without sin, let us draw our confidence in Christ. Also, brothers and sisters, whenever you praise trials and suffering, being Christians, you are not on your own. You are part of the church, which is the body of Christ here on earth. You can share your burden to one another. Just like our church statement, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. You have us, you have the congregation who love one another because Christ loves us. We share each other's burden and help and protect one another as Christ protecting his bride. 
that can be our comfort, brothers and sisters. Now, that would be the end of first point. Now, let's go to the second point. God's people share God's deeds among others. Now, let's open our Bible again. Let's read from 11 to uh, 20, verse 11 to 20. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples of his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you will lift me up from the gates of death. May I recount all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in their work of their own hands. Higayon, Selah. The wicked shall return to Seol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nation be judged before you. Put them fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but God seller. So now we have verse 11 and 12. You can see there is telling God good deeds, good deeds among the people. So we have verse 11. The Lord who dwells in Zion, God is enthroned in heaven above. And also it is symbolically dwells locally in his tabernacle. That's what we have in verse 11. So we have also verse 12 and 18. We can see the, the, the word there, afflicted, the needy, the afflicted, the afflicted. This is designated often a stance for individual psalmists in terms of all points to those who are afflicted, vulnerable, and therefore totally dependent of the Lord. We have verse 15 and 16 there. I'm just actually summarizing this one. This is what we call the boomerang principle. What you saw is what you reap. That's the principle of exact retribution returns. Now, verse 17 to 20, now it's going back to like Psalm 1. So as the psalmist draws his great hymn into a climax. So that would be our verse. Now, our main point is, uh, in, this, uh, in this verse, in this, um, in this second point is, why is it necessary for us to tell God deeds? Why is it so? Is God so petty? that he required us to speak for his wonderful deeds among others? Can he just not send all his angels to proclaim his good deeds throughout the world so just we just rely on that? And does he really need us and badly need us to accomplish his work? The answer is not at all. God doesn't need us at all. That would be the perfect answer. He doesn't need us. Instead, we are the one who need him. Now, this reminds me with, uh, with uh, the gospel of, uh, of, uh, of Luke, 
which mentions the story about Jesus entering Jerusalem. You know, the, the, what, what you call this, the, the Palm Sunday, and meeting with the Pharisees. So remember, when Jesus went to Jerusalem, the disciples are shouting and singing and praising to Jesus. And the Pharisees are saying, telling them, Master, teacher, tell your disciple to stop. And what Jesus did, and Jesus replied, if they don't praise me, even the stones will cry out. It's one of the Luke's theme in the gospel. Jesus will have his witness. If it is not us, someone will. And Jesus said, I will have my witness. I have someone to speak for my name. I don't care if you all will be silent. I will get the stone. By the way, I'll get the stone. This is just a metaphor. If no one will speak, I will find someone to speak. Just like when Judas is going to betray me, betray me and leave me, which I know, I will get a Matthias. Matthias is the, uh, the replacement of Judas, by the way, to speak for my name. So if it is not us who's going to go to our family members, to our neighbors, to our relatives, if it is not us who's going to, uh, to other state, to other nation, other country, crossing rivers, crossing valleys, crossing mountains, if it is not us to deliver the message of good deeds of God among others, if it is not us, someone will. So God doesn't need us in that. Being a Christian, it is just not a matter of right. It is a privilege. So too often, preachers talk about the need for evangelisms and missions. Uh, it is presented in a way that makes God as needy and makes us uh, look heroic. But that's not the way it is. God will save his people. God will get his word out and he'll find a Matthias to do if it is no one's going to do it. Christ will always have his witness. He does not call us to speak out because God is in pinch or badly need us. He calls us to speak that we might have the privilege and it is just right for us to speak his good deeds as the king of God of heavens and the earth, the God of the heavens and the earth. Now, speaking about privilege and being proud of saying or praising someone, I know most of you can even relate it. Uh, just for example, for me, if my kids and my wife uh, have some achievements, I would love to share it to someone. I'm so happy that I would like to share it to someone. Maybe some of you, if you have, um, you have someone that you knew that um, they had some achievement, you would like to share it to someone also to share with your happiness. Maybe your, uh, maybe your kids, your kids won um, maybe a football league. Or maybe your, uh, your kid is part of um, an event, a huge event, then you're so happy with it that you would like to share it with others. And also maybe you got a new job from a prestigious company and you'd like to share it to someone. Maybe you got a, a salary increase, maybe. 
Or maybe you have a reconciliation done. Brothers and sisters, yet this all considered, we can consider as petty compared to the matchless grace and matchless glory of what God had done for us. He who sent His precious Son, Jesus, to redeem us from our bondage of sin to the point of death, that His death and resurrection have reconciled us with God and His people. Are we not going to speak these good deeds in the same manner as God who is rich in good deeds, we as His blood-bought people in the same way, let our light be the shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That is what we have in Matthew 5.16. And being God's people, we are called to imitate God. In John's gospel, Jesus is the light of the world. As we are followers of Jesus Christ, we should always be the light of the world. The light of the world is the metaphor that you, Jesus used uh, as Christian to be the witness in the light. Christians are the light of the world in this world that's been shrouded with darkness. What is this light by which Jesus' disciple lightened a dark world? In this context, we can see the light is the good deeds performed by Jesus, by his followers, performed in such a way that leads some man recognize as sons of God and come to praise his father, whose sons are they? So brothers and sisters, the norm of God's kingdom work out in the lives of the heirs of the kingdom. Become the witness of the kingdom. So such Christians were the one who refused to rob their employers by being lazy in, the, in, in their job, to rob their employees by being um, greedy, by being stingy, such Christians are the ones to, uh, to, to, to help their colleague in times of difficulty and the last one to return a barb reply. Such Christians that would desire the advancement of others without any interest. And such Christians are the ones who hate gossipings. As D.A. Carson says, for a variety of reasons, Christians have lost this vision of witness and are slow to return to it. But in better days and other hands, the faithful and divinely empowered proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who himself is the light of the world par excellence, so transformed men that they in turn to become the light of the world, such as like prison reform, medical care, trade unions, control of perverted and perverting liquor trade, establishment of orphanage, abolition of slavery, abolition of child labor, reform of the penal code. In all these eras, the follower of our Lord Jesus Christ spearheaded to drive for righteousness and the darkness alleviated. And I am convinced that this has always been the pattern when professing Christians have been less concerned 
with personal prestige and more concern of the norms of God's kingdom. Now, brothers and sisters, genuine Christianity marks the life that shines in adversity. This comes from the grace that God who sustains us and delivers us in times of trials and suffering, as just like John Schreiner had preached last week from Titus 2, that the grace of God was Christ which appeared and bringing salvation for all men, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age and waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Finally, brothers and sisters, God separated people for himself who wholeheartedly trust him and zealous for good deeds, who waited for the glorious hope of his coming and shared God's wonderful deeds through his word, which is shrouded with darkness. People who do good deeds in times of darkness, the world shrouded in darkness. These are the people that in times of trials and trouble, we can still definitely say and confidently say that as for me and for my household, we will serve the Lord.